needs some motivation on your Chinese business endeavor, may be curious about what the Chinese business environment is all about, or want to laugh out loud listening to war stories on the ground in China. Then this is your show, China Business Cast. Welcome to the new episode of the China Business Cast. Today it's me, Lina, your new co-host, and I'm really proud to be bringing you a real success story from my home country, Lithuania. We often hear that a brand or a certain product reached China market and is already being sold, but it is really rare to hear the full story of how that happened. In this episode, we will talk about the required patience and humility, the required preparations and investment, as well as the daily challenges that come from working with China. Hope you find this interesting, and thank you for listening. Hi everyone, or ni hao. Greetings from my home in Shanghai. I'm so excited today to share a story of how Lithuanian ketchup reached Chinese shelves. It took us a few years and a lot of effort, but most of all it was personal belief and support and trust from Domas, maybe his personal experience in working on global brands, and just sheer determination to do what it takes, that in the end helped us to reach 500 supermarkets in China. Thomas knew that the future of his business depends on exports, and so he approached me in 2018. I think most of my friends got very skeptical when I announced this new business opportunity. You know, it's a very traditional and conservative category. You know, the supply networks in China are not transparent. You know, the Chinese actually don't eat ketchup, right? But after talking to Thomas, I thought I would give it a try. And here's why. When I first visited Domante, I was actually very inspired. I met some people working at the factory who have been there for over 25 years. Then I got to know that Domas himself is the son of one of the shareholders of the company. And after studying and gaining work experience overseas, he's now back to Lithuania and working to make a lasting change in the business environment of the country. Moreover, his brother acts as a food technologist in the factory and the person responsible for the recipes has actually served as a personal chef to Her Excellence Dalia Griboskaita when she was hosting state-level dinners. So I think that's all for my introduction. And now I would like all of you to meet Domas. Hi, Domas. Thank you so Hi, much everyone. for agreeing to share your story. How are you? Um, very good. Uh, of course, the times are quite difficult at the moment because of the pandemic, uh, but yeah, despite that, everything is quite well. I think it is such an exclusive opportunity to have you to tell the story for us, and I'm really, really excited, and thank you. So without further ado, maybe you can tell us a little bit uh, what you're doing in China, how is it going, and uh, I don't know, how do you feel about it? <laughs> I feel uh, very, uh, very opportunistic, you know, so China was always uh, one of like a dreamland for our company. We invest a lot of time in there and we always wanted to be there. So when I came to the company, one of my main target was to enter that market. And I, try, uh, I was trying to do as much as possible to, to achieve that. At the moment, I'm glad that China is in a better position than when we started because our first container landed in China almost the same month when the pandemic started. So, and at the moment, I think you can agree that 
now China is doing much better and we can feel that on our sales. So yeah, pretty good. So I think probably it was your personal determination to go to China and to be developing that market that actually made it happen. Do you feel that it would have been possible otherwise? I think you have faced many challenges and many, many, many interesting stories along the way. Yeah, when I came to the company, I asked the export department how they're doing with China. And they said that nothing is happening there. And I said, why? They just explained that they were coming to the market for, to the exhibitions in China for more than seven years. And I, after seven years, they haven't achieved anything. So that's why I started thinking why they, we couldn't achieve anything at, at that point. So basically, we get used to it uh, when we're working with uh, European companies that we meet uh, representatives in the trade shows or meetings or something like that, and we start working. In China, it's a little bit different because, first of all, you have to have a person dedicated to that market in China who can solve all your problems quickly, they appear, also represent you as a respectable company. Uh, because I don't believe that it is really possible to make business in China via email. Uh, you have to do meetings, you have to meet face to face because the culture thing is, it's a big difference. And for myself also was quite a big challenge to understand that uh, cultural differences because myself, I was uh, grown in, in the Western culture where we can, you know, chat on the phone or, or email and do the business like that. But yeah, when I understand these quite big differences, it become much easier to start thinking how to enter the market, what we need to do. So, so basically when I took over the China project of the company, we needed like two years to start delivering goods. So I believe it is long time comparing with business doing with uh, Western companies, European companies, but in China, I think it's quite quick. Well, I think it's very easy to sell a random container, but to build a sustainable exports, that is a very different story because I'm not sure if uh, you would agree with me that the difference and the cultural difference is not really the language. It's just that the system works very differently. And I exactly. think what we learned together was that the most stable distribution network is the flexible channel where, where people on the ground uh, are working with one supermarket each. And this would be the most trustworthy distributor. So even Carrefour, they don't have a distributor for the whole of China. They choose local distributors for each of their supermarkets. So I think the whole structure of things is just very, very different because it didn't develop in the same model as it developed vertically in the United States, which later was copied in other markets. Maybe you can have, I don't know, many, some insights about this. Yes, exactly. So um, talking about the specifics, uh, yeah, in China, not the language is the problem, as you said. I, I agree 100%. It's the culture thing, how they work. Of course, first of all, without a distributor in China, it's impossible to do anything without right distributor, a distributor. Because I think the main task 
in trade shows, you can find many distributors who can deliver pallet or container to China and the business will be over because uh, market is not, is not prepared. Uh, so that's why we needed help to find the right distributor and where uh, Litau and yourself helped us a lot to find the people who can we trust and who can trust us uh, and most important to trust the brand and its potential in China market to see the potential because quick money doesn't help to do the good business. As I said, we need sustainability. We need every month orders uh, from our distributor. So yeah, the process of choosing the right distributor took a long time, I think. I think we met on a roadshow when we went, uh, went to China. We met around 20 distributors, as I remember. We've been in three different cities. We saw different markets. We see different distributors, how they operate. And they all have their uh, advantages and disadvantages. But after all these meetings, as I said to you on the first, uh, I think at the end of the roadshow, I said, we then much more in a week what we've done in uh, seven years of uh, working with China because I met so many different businesses and I started to see, all right, how I need to, to make business for them. So, yeah, it was a really long, I think 10 days, I remember, but it was so beneficial for us. And after that, we uh, glad that we choose the distributor which suited our needs. And actually, it even... I think over-delivered our biggest uh, targets, what we had. So so that was good. Maybe you can share some numbers. So you now have an exclusive distributor, right? Yeah. And uh, you have been supplying to China maybe some, you know, process and numbers as much as you can share. Yeah. So we start, uh, we have an exclusive distributor uh, in China at the moment, which is based in Beijing, which covers most of the China at the moment. So we started working with them on 2020, beginning of 2020, January. Uh, our first order was placed before that, but we delivered in January. And at the moment, we already have uh, sold six containers in the, uh, to the market, around worth around 100, 150,000 euros of, of, of goods. So. In, in nine months, uh, it's a really good number. Just in a starting uh, market where we, we presented our brand, which nobody knew. We presented products which, which nobody used uh, most of the time, you know. So, and we have project projections for next year to double or even triple that amount. So, we are really glad about these numbers and we see big potential in, and our distributor did a great work in the market. I think that um, one of the key reasons why you were successful in the end was the patience, but also the willingness to adapt. And I know that you have developed uh, 10 SKUs specifically for China market, collaborating with the distributor and following their orders. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So... First of all, what I want to tell everybody that it looks like very easy to enter when we talk, you know, after everything we've done. But the patience, you had, you had a, have, a, have a huge patience in them, with them, uh, as because sometimes you uh, get some, some feedbacks which you don't even understand why they are there. So 
Maybe some example? Yeah, even about the the labels, for example, the label of the of the products. You give them the really nice picture. For example, I have the source here. So you have the picture of the how to use the product, but you also mm-hmm, have to mm-hmm. write the instructions how to use it on the back. So it's right. so much explaining about the product uh, to the consumer, which we don't understand quite well in the beginning why we need that. And this world uh, takes a lot of time, of course, and, and money. So about the SKUs, so when we started a conversation with our distributor, we gave them all our SKUs, what we produce. So it was around 100 different products which we sent to them to choose from where we start. And as I remember now, what I said to them, we don't have even none of the products are exactly the same what we sent to them. So we're starting, uh, we change uh, some recipes. So we started with choosing some products which they like, but we need some tweaks, uh, which we needed to do. So recipes are changed. We send bottles, different size, what we have now. So basically uh, when Wow Mama was developed in Lithuania, the bottles were quite much bigger than they are now. So we have to cut by half the size of the bottle. So uh, that could be more attractive to the Chinese consumer. So yeah, so bottle change, recipe change, new labels, new design labels, which we work really hard to, to find the nice, attractive way how to present it uh, to the market. Yeah, caps are new, uh, seals are new on the bottle because also Chinese want to have everything perfect, uh, perfectly. So I never worked with a client who want the market who needs so much adjustment and such a high need as the China, China market. It looks like there's a thing when they say that from China, everything comes and grows after a week, you know, but what they want from importers to bring is the most high, uh, highly rated products as possible can be. Well, I think that the European label made in European Union for them is the sign of the top quality. And so for me personally, it makes total sense to reduce the size of the bottles and then to sell it for a much uh, bigger price. I'm not sure what is the difference uh, in the shelf price for your products between China and Lithuania, do you know? It's not huge, actually. Uh, it's not huge difference. Uh, there is, of course, because there's much out of costs included in that. Right. But the uh, uh, interesting thing is that after we uh, presented these bottles and designs to Chinese market, we actually look at them and they look really good. And that's why we introduced them to the Lithuanian market <laughs> as well. So, you know, they nice. pushed, pushed us uh, quite a bit to get the mm. best product we can do and we benefit from that also. So in this year, in the in summer, we presented four new SKUs with the same bottle as in Chinese, really same tastes. So it was, it was good benefit for us also. Interesting. And I think probably the Lithuanian exporters and maybe the exporters from the Baltic states, they don't even know how to adapt or don't have the required diligence and attention to detail because they're mainly used to providing private label products it was the same problem with us uh that's why i'm saying that everyone who asks how to enter the chinese market first of all you need to find the right partners uh because they they will tell you how to adapt your product because 
Previously to that, uh, we always produced all export uh, products in private label. But China, we wanted to make our own label because then we'll have all the control we need to grow the brand. We have uh, control to see, to change the products, to adapt them, etc. So, yeah, I agree with you that, first of all, Without the partner, without understanding of inside markets, it's impossible to enter the uh, the market unless it depends sometimes on the product. If the product is well used in China, for example, or a brand is really big in, in, in Europe or other places in, in the world, then it's a little bit different. But for us as a small uh, uh, company, to a, a small company in Lithuania with non-known brand, we needed this inside information from yourself and our distributors how to change everything how to adapt and how to please the chinese customer maybe you can show some of the products and yes, show so, what the brand looks like because i remember what you were saying is that the distributor was very very pleased and very happy with the way the brand turned out to be because it's easy to pronounce it's easy to understand it's a bit hip uh, but has the uh, I don't know, premium feel to it mm -hmm. without being too straightforward. It still remains very European. So maybe you can so, share more about what it, they wanted and what you needed to adjust. Yeah, so just to tell you overall, uh, we have tennis cues, uh, which includes uh, four different mayonnaises and four different uh, salad dressings and two barbecue sauces. So this is our one of the mayonnaise. So this is quite unique also in the Lithuanian market because this is a mango mayonnaise. It's mayonnaise with mangoes. So if you look to the label, we have brand new logo for Mama for China market, which for me looks a little bit similar to Chinese flag. It's a lot of red and white. So that's what we wanted to keep to, to attract the attention of Chinese because mm -hmm. people think maybe uh, we attract. So yeah, so we have really bright colors to, to attract the customer eye. I'll show you other ones. So for example, we have many which is called sandwich bread. So it's for sandwiches. So we have to show that it comes on a bread. We have to instructions over here how to use it. Uh, then also our most popular product is at the moment is Thousand Island sauce. So this is the main reason why it's so popular is because uh, Chinese people know what is Thousand Island sauce and how to use it. But still we have to show the salads on the side, also to write the instructions over here. So this was a brand new bottle, brand new cap, brand new seal, which is easy peel also, which we have to adapt. So if you can say this 100% different product what we had in, in the beginning. So, mm -hmm. yeah. I think there are two interesting questions coming from that. I think one of the question is, I remember that the first step that we did together was hire the customs compliance agency, which analyzed the, the ingredients and the components of your mayonnaise. And yeah. then according to the China standard, you found out that it is only qualified to be labeled as salad dressing. So basically, that uh, insight itself allowed us to understand that the product, if you didn't have this insight, could have been stuck in the customs and would be confiscated or maybe even returned or, 
I don't know. So I'm wondering now, because I saw all your products are called mayonnaise. So are they compliant to the Chinese standard now? Did you need to recreate the whole formula? Yeah, um, this is what uh, I want to tell that there was a lot of work before that. Mm -hmm. Even our distributor is really happy that now when we deliver the goods, there is no problem with the customs. When they, it's always goes really quickly and they thank us that we prepared. And that's why I want to thank you which, because you helped a lot to do that preparation. Uh, so yeah, so after that compliance uh, thing, uh, we did tweak our products, so uh, our recipes, because we had that problem with everything, what was mayonnaise or, or salad dressing it has to be called salad dressing. We didn't want that. So we had to change a little bit of the recipe the instructions, uh, etc. So, yeah, that helped a lot to, to have different SKUs. I think in China, if the labeling is incorrect and the Chinese consumer representatives find out, they can report that the brand is using the wrong label and the brand will need to pay, I think, 5,000, which is 800 euros immediately to that consumer who is reporting. And then sometimes because the distributors are so busy, they don't have the time to go into detail. So I always advocate for the brands to really take that into consideration because you would never even think that uh, what you're calling mayonnaise in Lithuania would be called uh, salad dressing in China just because of the fat percentage, right? Yeah. So <laughs> I think uh, that's when uh, really all my mistakes that I've done in China for 11 years, it pays off. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And still, when, when we talk to the, uh, our distributor who talks with his clients and customers, still mayonnaise is used as a salad sauce in China mostly. It's really hard uh, you know, to educate the customer to try different ways. But we have prepared, um, actually, we're doing uh, still now, we're preparing videos with our products. We're filming Lithuanian chefs who are making Chinese dishes with our sauces so that they can, you know, um, try to use them in different ways. So it's a lot of small things which we need to do, uh, especially as it is our own brand and our own future. So it's so many small things we need to add. It's not only just order, deliver, and forget about that. It's just all the small tweaks and perks we need to add to our products so they could be more affordable for the customer. So when I talk about this, I always give an example of some pickled vegetables that the Chinese use every morning for their breakfast. Yeah. So if you bring this, and I think we, we had those vegetables in, in the hotel when we were traveling, but yeah. I also needed to teach you how to use it, right? <laughs> so now we're bringing Lithuanian products that, and uh, probably I will include a picture of how any kind of supermarket in Lithuania looks like there are shelves and shelves full of Domante products. So yeah. what seems so everyday to us, actually, in China, is not every day at all. And people are really having challenges to use that product correctly. So maybe you can share some interesting stories that you found when introducing the product or were you able to introduce it properly because of the help? So I remember quite well when the first time I arrived to China, uh, when I was starting to, to use, 
to start thinking about exporting to China. Uh, I was in a hotel, I was in breakfast stand, and it was three sauces. It was actually Thousand Island sauce, with Caesar sauce, and some some sauce I didn't understand at, the, at that point. But then I, I understand that they use these sauces quite often, even in the breakfast, because I, the hotel we stayed in was, was quite Chinese, most of the Chinese people in there. And I started looking at them, how they use it. And they were starting putting that on dumplings, on bows, and all that stuff. All right, I understand that it's quite interesting. There's a lot of opportunity in there. Also, uh, with yourself, uh, when we've done the market research, we saw that the market of these products are growing and growing, I think, as I remember, around 10% every year, then 15%, something like that. So, yeah. I remember uh, that the mayo almost doubled in five years. Yeah, yeah, so. exactly. And in Chinese, when it's double, it, it doubles by millions, not like right. when, when we see, for example, it doubles by uh, 10 or 20 people, you know. And actually, what is uh, so different that in Lithuania, uh, mayo's market is depreciating and going down at the moment. It's going down around 5 to 10% every year, which is quite big numbers. This is in, in China, it's doubling uh, most of the time. So it's so different how the people use this, uh, these products. And I'm happy that in China, it's getting everyday usage most of the time. People travel, especially Chinese travel much more at this, uh, this point. And they starting using these products, bringing the recipes from, from Europe or from uh, US and they, they're trying to, to use it in, in their kitchen. Did you see any strange use? Because I remember when we were doing the research, we found out that uh, actually mayo is used very often by mothers with children to make a quick lunch, right? Yes. So this is just upcoming. And then they see this trendy, easy and uh, premium lifestyle representing that kind of class. Maybe you saw something like that where, where your products were used as well, besides uh, the dumpling? <laughs> yeah. One of the strangest things what I saw, because we've been in the trade shows for a few times in China, and we, all, we always come with Lithuanian national stand, and there is different companies. So uh, I remember one Chinese person was took a cheesecake from the other company, and then came to us and dipped that cheesecake in our uh, mayonnaise or something like that. And he liked it, you know, so... But you actually, know, this, the best best selling mayo in China is sweet. It was yeah, developed exactly. by the Japanese, and it is a dressing yeah. for the the um, fruit salad, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this is one uh, one of the strange things that, as you said, it's uh, using the fruits, for example. Mm-hmm. And one of our uh, sauces, I mean, is what we presented. Also, we we made it more sweet. Actually, all of them are sweeter than. Uh, in the Lithuanian market. For oh, example. interesting. Yeah. Even now, Wow Mama sauces, all of yeah. them got sweeter. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because we adapted to the market leader. Uh, yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. even we are thinking maybe in the future, because that Japanese brand is using like a, a toothpaste, uh, you know, uh, bottle or, or right. package. Mm-hmm. Package. So. Uh, we are trying, we are thinking if we're going to increase in SQs, we're going to introduce also different packaging more uh, adapted to Chinese market. Interesting. I think another thing that was interesting for me is to see after all this time, some reflection or some feedback about our trip to Wuhan. Yeah, I remember that. 
Yeah, I remember that trip very well because first of all, I remember that I came to a hotel the, on the street behind uh, my hotel was a tall building. Uh, next morning, I woke up and it was demolished. <laughs> and I remember the trip to the market uh, when we met lady. And I, I really remember the talk with you uh, when I said, that lady looked like uh, just a market lady who has selling fruits or, or whatever, and that she's struggling in her life, and uh, etc. And I asked you how much she makes in a year, and she actually makes more than us. <laughs> so, yeah, it was very interesting experience walking in the back alleys when she showed all the businesses, drinking tea with them, and talking, and you understand that. It's, it's such a different world and how they uh, do business and how they uh, act with the money they have. I don't know where the money goes. I think it goes mostly to the children, education and stuff like that. And they don't show that, uh, that they have a lot of money and you don't can get a guess who's rich and who's not and who's successful. And that business showed me really well. She, she, we went to her shop and she was selling candies and stuff like that. And she was what making like 15 million a year. Yeah. But I think um, the most unique point about that particular meeting was that this lady, I remember that her business, she called it as wholesale business. Yeah. But actually the minimum order quantity was, I think, 50 euros, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I remember all of us started laughing, but then when we realized that she's educating the market on how to use her products, and then her focus is the products that you can eat in one day or drink in one day. Yeah. Fast moving goods. Right. Like very fast moving goods. Yeah. So her whole focus is to train these people who came and bought something for 50 euros so that next year they come back and buy for 50,000. And that's her business. Yeah. So she, I remember she, she brought like everything in the, warehouse she could tell us the whole story about where it comes from who's the best consumer and then i remember specifically that whichever product you asked a question about she managed to bring it to the tea room for us yeah, to taste yeah, yeah. so they're so observant hmm. yeah exactly and that welcoming uh feeling what she brought to us and walking just through her warehouse and i was just because some of the products I had never seen, I was so, so interested just to take some. And she was okay, just take it, taste it. And, and right. it, it was, it was very nice, very nice from her. And, and it was, it was the most shocking experience in a good way to see how the business operates. You don't need fancy offices. You don't need to fancy warehouses. You don't need hundreds and hundreds of people to make good business. You just need to, to love the product you sell. Yeah? Uh, to know the background and to care about the product. The most important is just to, to care about the brand, the, the product, the people behind that product. Um, I think it's most important to su uh, succeed in China as well. So, yeah. Wow, thank you so much for this insight because that is definitely something that I'm so blessed to be sharing on the everyday basis. I think I have held something around 1,000 B2B meetings. And then this is uh, the feedback I get uh, almost every time that people suddenly realize that being humble, being honest, and having a very straight, open approach will generate the best results because this is just how the market works.
Exactly. So, yeah, and uh, I'm really happy the way we, we started business in China with yourself and then with our distributor that we went everywhere as a humble people who want just to start doing something nice and good in China. And to we didn't talk about numbers, even I think after a year of conversation, how much we can make from that or how much we can win. We just wanted to enter the market to learn something new. And to I think it was huge experience for yourself and us to just have all that, uh, you know, uh, trip and to see all the different things we, we did. So, yeah, thank you for that. Thank you very much. And I think it's really nice that you're coming to this point, which I started with. I think that this family culture in the company is very important to share when you come to China. And uh, this allows you to really come from a very different perspective, not from the perspective of numbers, because you have the patience, you know how long it takes to trust the person and to and and I think that you're really willing to trust. So I think that was the key differentiating factor as compared to many, many other brands that come and fail. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, for me, it was very difficult. I don't like to talk about uh, much about the uh, family business. About right. Yeah. And I remember you always pushing me yes. to tell the story to people. Yes. You have to tell how the company started, how yeah. uh, you started working in the company, how your yes, brother yes. started working in the company, how everything grew, what you did. And I was just, why? why? I need to talk about business, not about uh, my personal uh, right. stuff. But, but you were right. A storytelling and the connection between these businesses is, is, is most valid in China. And even uh, I can tell a story when we went to see uh, our uh, head of distributor, the company uh, owner of the distributor company, with me and our CEO, my dad, uh, we uh, went to the Beijing to see him face to face because uh, our CEO wanted to meet him. And we, uh, we, we went to him, we give the presence, we give the attention. The I, I, I think our, our, yeah, our meeting was... Uh, we had like two hour meeting and one and a half hour, uh, we were talking about just about family stuff, about the, uh, how the business, uh, started working for him, uh, for us. And just at the end, we just started talking about real things, what we need to do. So most of the time, yeah, what's so different in China, uh, you have to make 90% of the talk about, uh, other things, but not business. Then 10 percent uh, is only business, and then it will be okay. Well, this is the culture that is called high context culture. So there is no personal and professional. So they judge your character, and if you pass their judgment, then they're interested to do business with you. Mm-hmm. And um, it's there like that for a reason because we have a very strong legal system. We have a very strong social security system but in china this is still in development so they can only rely on people they're tr- they're trusting and uh, so unless you so, pass that trust i can tell also one small story about the trust uh, so um, because we've done all these uh, small things to our distributor and small attention not, not a lot of attention in, in small things in our first delivery, we had a problem with, uh, with the, our caps, which was screwed, but they was making a, a small dust outside the bottle. And um, 
we get that feedback from the market. So basically, uh, what our district, uh, our uh, partners in China told that if we didn't have this trust in each uh, of us, uh, after that problem, they will just stop working with us. And actually, but uh, we we apologize. We done all the effort to fix that. We fix that problem, and the trust helped us to work together as since today. So. That's uh, groundwork we did before, helped us a lot uh, in the future. Yeah, I think that we covered most of what we wanted to cover today. And I just would like to ask, maybe you have any advice or suggestions for any brands? And here particularly, I want to focus on brands, not private yeah. label, on what, what they should do or how they should start or who should think about China in the Baltics or in the Scandinavian market? Uh, so, first of all, I think the main thing is if you want to go to the China market, you have to really want it. You have to just be uh, patient, as we said, and, and I'm talking next level patient. It's, it's uh, a lot of interesting talks and nothing happening, but when it's happening, it really will happen. Next thing is, I think, is money. Uh, so, it not comes really cheap to enter the Chinese market, especially if you're doing, as you said, with your own brand. You have to invest in that and you have to invest quite a lot, but uh, you can expect return in uh, two years, something like that, if everything is going well. So I think yeah, uh, these patience, money and, and huge attraction to china market don't expect just to all right i will enter and it will go really well we needed to hire extra person who will just work on chinese mark and this brand in china market will just do all the paperwork uh, do all this kind of stuff so you need to do to be dedicated to this and but definitely it comes in huge return it comes in a huge success if you choose your partners wisely so also, one more thing is have a partner in there. Uh, Lena is, is, is one of the best, I think, for uh, Lithuanians to, to do that. But yeah, a good partner, trusty partner, and good distributor in there also. So these are main things. Don't be caught up on, on short success. Go for a long term. I'm thinking maybe there was something that changed for you as a person. Because I think for me... Having these trips together with you, it was such a bonding experience that it's once in a lifetime. You don't really get to experience these kind of differences and emotions in business often. So I'm not sure how about you. Maybe you, you I don't know, if, if there was a shift or some change, how you see yeah. business in life. Yeah, it, it definitely did. I learned quite a lot from you because, you know, we spent it uh, days Days and, and a lot of days, days, uh, yeah, days in airports, in trains, and, and we get tired really much. But it's really good when you are supported with the people who see the, you know, ending uh, with yourself in the same way. You know, they want to achieve the same things. You know, for you, you can just, you know, do a job and forget about that. But still now we, we're doing, I, I call you to consult if something happens. You also contact me if you need something. And... You know, when you uh, surround yourself with the right people, it's really easy to achieve that target you have in front of you. So for me, it, what's changed is just to getting on the right people 
and and to uh, treat people much much better. Um, mm. And of course, uh, because I'm, I'm considering myself still a quite young person, I, I learned a lot of, of patience, which I need <laughs> help help my in, in my personal life as well, and help my in, in business life as well. Interesting. Well, for me personally, China was the place when I learned that there is more truth than one. So you can see things from very different perspectives and all of them can be just as true to each individual person. And then uh, I'm so blessed to have had a chance to share that experience with you as well. So thank you very much. Thank you. I think for the closing, what I will do is I would like to show a slide of uh, the process we took together, which we discussed before. So I would like to ask the audience if they have any more questions or they want to learn more details, they can uh, follow the LinkedIn of Domante or of Litao or reach out. And I will be leaving the QR code of my uh, WeChat for people who would like to reach out and have WeChat. And um, Domas, personally, I would like to thank you very much for becoming a friend and also a supporter. And I would really be so excited to welcome you in Shanghai when the borders open up again. I would really like to come because I'm missing China already after nine months not being yeah. there. So, so next time I'm there, I'm there, I will definitely meet you. And thank you very much for inviting me to this event. And thank you very much for all the help you supported us. So thank you. Doing business in China is a complex world. You can quickly feel alone and lost in its maze. But don't worry, China Business Cast is here for you. Sign up for our newsletter and regular updates on our website at www.chinabusinesscast.com. Thanks for tuning in.